1: dive into some position battles the one question we get asked more than anything else is is there a quarterback battle going on at Notre Dame the answer is yes there is and we're going to talk briefly about it but it's a little different I think than in past years it's not the same as years where it's like okay who's going to start Wimbush or Book Kaiser or Zaire those type of things I don't think it's that I think it's more of a You know the guy you have is the leader. You know the guy who you think is going to be the guy, but he still has more to prove. And the other guy, the first guy we're talking about is obviously Tyler Buckner. The other guy that's in the conversation is Drew Pine. And I think Drew has also done enough to say he deserves to go into fall camp with a chance to battle Mm -hmm. here. And I think those two things are a reality. Now, that's why I say it's a little different in the past, Brian, but I do think Tyler Buckner doesn't have the experience, and and because of this miss spring, there's a lot of factors to me that say I would not be comfortable with Notre Dame just naming him the starter right now. I think he still has to show me something in fall camp. I expect him to be the guy, but I'm not quite ready to kind of go there yet and say he should be anointed the starting quarterback before fall camp starts.
2: Right now, I agree completely. I I think it's sort of like a recruiting battle to a degree, right? It's it's. Tyler Buckner has distanced himself, but it still hasn't closed, right? Like you still haven't made that final plunge. And I think that that's what you're seeing with a Tyler Buckner right now. I think it's pretty clear who the favorite is. I think there's a a pretty substantial kind of gap that has been formed now between him and Drew Pine. It's just a question of can Tyler now take it to the next step where it's not even a competition anymore, where it's not even really a race because we've talked a lot about it, Brian. I, I do think that Tyler Buckner is the quarterback, gives the offense a lot more upside, obviously, right? But, I mean, hats off to Drew Pine because he's had spurts of good football over, you know, last year specifically where he comes into this conversation as he can contend for this starting job. But I think he is – the gap is clear that he's behind Tyler Buckner. So now it's going to come down to can he – reverse some of that momentum against Tyler Buckner? Because, I mean, let's be honest about it. Tyler Buckner was good good to very good in the spring. Drew Pine was not. He did not have a great spring. So when you're evaluating those two players, you are expecting, because, I mean, the game is full of adversity, especially for quarterbacks. So I'm looking at Drew Pine and I'm saying, there's some adversity to you right now. Can you take advantage? Can you get back into this race? Or if we know, if Tyler Buckner is what we think that he is, can he be that guy? easily right can he just establish that little bit of separation with him and I think that when you look at that I think he has a huge opportunity to do so so I I think that's I think that that's what I'm expecting and I would love people in the chat that could just kind of put your expectations for the quarterback battle but I think if anything it's a little bit of a letdown if Tyler Buckner does not take that onus right and if he is the guy that we think that he can be he has to be able to take that next step. And if he doesn't, that's a big red flag. Yeah. It's, it's like what we talked about yesterday, right? When there's a position battle, I want the guy to win because he is clearly the better football player, right? Like I don't want it to be in a situation where you won because the other comp- competitor wasn't that good. Right. like Mm -hmm. That is the worst case scenario. I don't want Tyler Buckner to just win because. And that's true for all these battles.
1: I mean, that's the thing that you have to understand is that's the big question mark that's going to permeate through all this. And by the way, I love it. Intel never stops, man. So I'll have something on uh, the message board here in in the Uh -uh. next five minutes. But you did a great job of like of, okay, Ryan responded to adversity. I had to bow out to take a call. So uh, very well done, Ryan, on that one. But I, I would I would
2: be a good quarterback as well. I can handle Yes, this and
1: yes. good, good audible. I think that that right there though is going to be the key for all these battles, right? Somebody's going to be here because here's what we're talking about today. We're talking about O line. We're going to, I mean, quarterback. We're going to talk about the fifth offensive lineman. We're going to talk about who kind of is that number four receiver, potentially number three, depending on who it is. We're going to talk about the number two tight end spot, the starting big end, starting Mike, starting corner, and starting safety. And the reality is is someone's going to have all those, someone's going to win all those roles, meaning someone's going to play in all those roles. The key is, and this is going to determine how good Notre Dame is to all these, is does somebody win the job? Because they, let me rephrase, does somebody win the job or does somebody earn the job? Because there's always a winner and a loser in position battles, right? Somebody's going to start. I don't care how bad the two guys played, somebody's going to start. Earning it's different. Earning it is I went out there and with my performance earned that starting job. And it's not really, doesn't really matter what other people did. And that's the big key is earn it, don't win it. And, and uh, that's kind of the, the big thing for me, Ryan. So it, that's true. A quarterback, I think, especially, right. What you don't want to have happen is like part of the reason Tyler Buckner is the clear number one coming out of spring is he had a good spring. He didn't have a great spring. Mm -hmm. Drew Pine had a bad spring. And that's why I said Tyler still has more to prove, right? Right. Tyler has to go out there and show that he's not the number one guy because Steve Angeli's a freshman and Drew Pine is struggling. He's got to show that I don't care who was here. I'm going to be the starting quarterback. And I do think he still has more to prove in that regard.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by trade after she filled out a short quiz. you got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, they'll take your feedback and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. Let's go to offensive line. This is an interesting one because you have a guy coming back in Andrew Kristofic who started last year with six or seven games and, and really was a key to helping solidify the offensive line. And then you come out in the spring, Zeke Carell has a phenomenal spring, Right, moves back to center, has a great spring, so much so that we believe Notre Dame is strongly considering and, and right now intends to have Jarrett Patterson move to guard and Zeke Karell stepping as a starting starter at center when he comes back. That isn't so much about Andrew Christophe not playing well as much as it is about Zeke Karell playing well. Sure, I, I don't think Andrew had a great spring from all from all reports that I have seen, or not say reports, but intel that I've gathered. He had a solid spring, but not a great spring. And Zeke had a great spring, mm-hmm. and so there's a comfort there with Zeke stepping into that to that role. But Andrew Kristofic to me showed enough last year that I'm just not automatically feeling like he's going to be thrown to the side. Sure. I do think we're going to see a scenario where because look, Jared Patterson can easily move back to center, right? Easily move back to center, or Andrew Kristofic can move to center because he's played it before uh, in practices. So to me, I think that's another really interesting battle. Is is because. There are some people who have understandable concerns about Zeke Carrell, and the understandable concerns to me are twofold. The first one I'm actually on board with: health. Like Zeke has, you know, struggled to stay healthy for a chunk of his career. He's an undersized guy who struggled to stay healthy. That's a legitimate concern. Number one. Number two is he. Last time we saw Zeke Carrell, he was playing really not good football. I mean, and I'm I'm trying to be nice about it. He really struggled to guard. I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think it's he wasn't comfortable to position. I think it was a situation where he wasn't necessarily being coached very well, as we've talked about. A kid like with his size needs to really be a technician. He didn't have that, you know. And and I think for whatever reason, he's just looked more comfortable at center during his career than he's looked at guard. Yeah. And and so so, but I understand people being concerned about that because again, the last time we saw him, I understand people not just automatically assuming he's going to play better at center. I, I get that but i do think that if he doesn't play well and andrew kostovic has a better fall than he had camp it's not a given that that's how the the offensive line is going to shake out so i do think it's worth and it's worth bringing up ryan and, and this was kind of one of the topics that Brian thought ryan thought that we should discuss was you know hey look i don't i don't think necessarily that that quarterback or that offensive line battle is necessarily settled so it's going to be yeah. very curious to see how that shakes out, because it's the same thing, right? You want Zeke Carell to win, to to not win the starting center job, but to have earned it. And so far, that's why they're considering making the move is because of how well he played. But that's got to continue for the next, you know, 25 practices.
2: And I don't think there's any reason from a talent perspective that Andrew Kristoff can't flip the scripts. I mean, I I think that none of us would question that Andrew Kristoff is a really talented kid. And the fact of the matter is, is that, last season doesn't really matter anymore but the last time we saw them on a football field Andrew Kristofic was a better football player than Zeke Corral last season and I know understand that Zeke's now moving back to his more natural position so it's not a great it's not an apples to apples conversation it's more apples to oranges for being completely honest but I think the one thing you said Brian that I could agree with completely is Andrew Kristofic also gives you the fact that hey he's played some center he's played at guard he can fight for two spots de facto, right? Because if he mm-hmm. fights for the guard spot and he's better than Zeke Corral, you slide Jared Patterson back and then he's back into the left guard position that he was last year. But if you also, if he's practicing at center, kind of cross train a little bit, and he's the best center on the roster then maybe he just slides in for Corral. And I, right. I, I wouldn't say that I, that's necessarily what I expect. I think I do expect at the end of the day, for it to be Zeke Corral at center and then Jared right. Patterson at left guard. But the point of the matter is, is that Andrew Kristofic deserves an opportunity to win that job. He does, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I, I know the momentum is not in his favor right now, but he was a calming force right. to that offensive line last year. Yeah. Was he great? No, but
1: he was much he was better than what they what they was, threw out
2: there at the yeah. beginning of
1: the year. He was very steady. He yes. wasn't spectacular, but he was steady. And I think that uh, not being spectacular again, he was a kid that came to their name very raw. And I think a lot of what Andrew was doing is just God given ability, and you know I'm curious to see how he's going to take now that he's got a second semester working with Harry Hestan. So you know, the, the, and and he's another kid too that that I'm curious to see how Andrew responds to finally being settled somewhere. And this has been an issue for him is they've moved him all over the place. You know, like he's played tackle, he's played center, he's played guard, he's back to guard. He's you know, and it's just kind of like he was a kid that was raw, wasn't, and he was a basketball player in high school as well. He's a guy that needed a lot of work, and I think it's he's not as developed as your typical senior because of the lack of coaching and the fact that he's a guy that needed a, a lot of work, in my opinion. So he, I, normally I would write off a senior like Andrew Kristoffick who got beat out. Normally I would because you're a senior. But because of the coaching change and the coaching issues he's dealt with and the fact that I felt he was he's always kind of been behind the eight ball because he's raw and because he's moved around so much, I have a little bit more confidence – that he's got a jump in him than I would normally a senior, sure, and 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 I would uh, you know, so that's kind of factors into it as well. I, I'm curious, or I'm not curious, but like you you made the point about maybe Christophe moving to center, and and I mentioned that earlier. I think for to me for that to happen for clarity for me and, and respond if you feel differently, it sure. would have to be more so. Andrew's clearly outplayed Zeke Carell, but Jarrett Patterson looks great at guard. Hundred percent. I think 100%. that's how it have to be.
2: Yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna move Jared Pat. Like, you're not gonna make that switch and just leave Jared Patterson at guard. Even in my opinion, if he's not. So if you're not comfortable with your center option and Jared Patterson just looks solid at guard, I don't think that's like a foregone conclusion that you still keep him at guard, right? Like if you're, if your best player is Andrew Kristofic, versus E Corral, out of the out of the starting five, and you need to get you need to get Andrew Christophic on the field, but Jared Patterson is also not playing great at guard, then you just slide him back to center. Like he's a known commodity at the center position. So I agree with you, Brian. I don't think that it's a foregone conclusion that the center spot might be open for Christophic to take. I just, in my, in my mind, I guess, I just expect Jared Patterson to be a good guard, right? Like I don't expect him to be a, average to good player like I expect him to be a very good guard so I think that he'll make that transition well and I think center could be the spot that ends up being open because you have two guys that can play it and I think that I expect Patterson to take that step at guard
1: so let's go to a couple more on offense we'll kind of work through quickly since they're they're potentially not starting positions the first one being sort of that fourth receiver spot. I, I think if everybody's healthy, I think you and I would agree that that Lorenzo Styles, Avery Davis, and Brayden Lindsey are sort of the one, two, three receivers in some capacity.
2: Sure.
1: Yeah. Right. And so then the question is: is okay, who's the fourth receiver? Now there's a chance that the fourth receiver, depending on who it is, could actually step into the starting lineup meaning if it's a Dion Colsey, if it's a Tobias Merriweather, or if it's a Jaden Thomas, one of the bigger guys that's more ideally suited for the boundary. It sure. could technically be a starting role, then you can kind of move Lorenzo Styles around in those type of areas. So I do think there's a battle for that. And, and honestly, it's one of those battles where, even if it's not a starter, this is very important for Notre Dame because this battle needs to be fierce because, as I said, somebody's going to be in the rotation. Mm-hmm right? Somebody's going to be in the rotation. Are they in the rotation because they need somebody to give a breather to the guys that are starting or are they in the rotation because like, yo, this cat had a great spring and we, and, and he's, or he's had or he's had a great fall or both. We got to get this kid on the field and that's going to be the question. And so, you know, people say, well, I I'm team Dion and I'm team team, team device and I'm team Jaden or whatever else. Like you should be team all of them, right? Because sure. you want all of them to play to the level where they're making Notre Dame have some tough choices on who that fourth and fifth receivers are going to be. Mm-hmm. And and here's the question you want Notre Dame to be asking. You do not want Notre Dame going into fall, into the fall, into the season saying, who's our fourth receiver. You yep. want them to be having a different conversation and you want that conversation to be how deep can we go with our rotation? Because that's the kind as a receivers coach, the best depth charts I was ever a part of are the ones where I had a hard time getting down to five. Because like five or six is the most you want to do. And at the time, we were trying to be five. We couldn't. We couldn't justify not having a six-kid playing. And so we ended up going with six. That's the decision that you want to be in because the, every one of those kids that earned playing time, right, that's where Notre Dame wants to be, where, look, we were going to go with a four-man rotation, but we have to go to five. Or we were going to go with a five-man rotation, we got to go to six. And I think that's, the, that's, the, that's what you got to hope that the battle is, where Dion, Tobias, and Jaden have all said, hey – You got to play me where you got to figure that out. That's what you get paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do coach, figure it out. But we all, you know, I need to play. And then Keon, you know, uh, Dion needs to say that. And then Jaden needs to say that. And then Tobias needs to say that. If that battle is what I hope it is, then we're going to feel really good about the receiving core. If we're not hearing that, that's what I'm going to start getting real concerned about. Like, there's a gap between your top three and everybody else that's going to make me a little bit uncomfortable about the receiving core heading into fall camp.
2: I know we've talked a lot about that. We think Lorenzo styles and spurts could be that W receiver, right? A little bit of an undersized version of what traditionally kind of Notre Dame puts into the boundary, but I don't think in an ideal situation, he's playing that spot, right? Like it, right now to your point, Brian, if it is Lorenzo styles, brain Lindsay and healthy Avery Davis, and they are your clear best three receivers then they have to play. There's no doubt about that. But if you're playing them in three wide receiver sets, that means you're going to have an undersized guy into the boundary a little bit, but you have really talented players behind them that fit that boundary role a whole lot better. I mean, you have Tobias Merriweather coming in. That's six foot four. You have Deon Colsey. who's six foot five. You have Jane Thomas who's six, one and a half, 215 pounds. Those are more traditionally what Notre Dame has put into the boundary. So I think to unlock the best of what Notre Dame's receiving core can be, you need at least one of those guys to be a really good player into the boundary. So now, Hey, you can mix and match where you're putting Brayden Lindsay and Lorenzo styles, and you can move those players around a ton. If you get into a situation where you don't have a true boundary player that you trust, then you're going to put Lorenzo styles in a position potentially your best receiver that is not his most advantageous position for him to be his best. Cause I would love Lorenzo styles to be that receiver to the field or maybe play in the slot at times. Like I think that that's kind of where he best profiles, but you know, that brain Lindsay is going to play to the field. You know, that Avery Davis is going to play in the slot to the field. He's not, neither one of those guys have the ability to play into the boundary. The only one out of the top three receivers assumed is Lorenzo styles in spurts can play into the boundary, but if you have a player like a Colsey or a Jane Thomas or Tobias Merriweather, whoever it ends up being, that can be that true boundary receiver, then that means I can use Lorenzo Styles all over the field. That means I can use Brain Brain Lindsay all over the field. That means that I don't have to worry about having a lack of size in the boundary on the field. So I think that one of those guys has to step up. It would be great if it was at least two. I mean, that would be an ideal situation. If it's three, then – Hallelujah, we have a great receiving core, right? Like we have the one of the best people keep asking can it be a top 10 receiver core. Well, if all three of those guys step up and Brayton Lindsay is well, I mean Brayton Lindsay, you know, has a nice season and all the guys kind of hit closer to their marks, then sure. But if for order that to happen, you need to have a boundary presence cuz right now your best option if none of those guys steps up is Lorenzo Styles who is not a natural boundary player.
1: Another battle, Ryan, tight end mm-hmm. number 2. That's going to be a really interesting and, and one that I'm a lot more concerned about now than I was six months ago. Well, I'd say more than that seven months ago because seven months ago, we were still thinking that, well, i put him eight months ago now, summer's going by. We we're thinking George Takis is going to be coming back. And at the very least, he would be that guy. And then you say, well, you got Mitchell Evans. You've got, the... well, now Mitchell Evans is out, right? So you've got Brown coming back from a knee injury. You've got Eli Raritan coming off of a knee injury. There's a lot of talent at tight end. But there's very, very little proven production behind Michael Mayer, and the reality is Notre Dame is going to run twelve personnel. There's no question they're going to run twelve personnel. The question is going to be: Is the second person going to be a a uh, just a pure blocker that mm-hmm. that, or is it a guy that's more of a weapon in in the sure. blocking game and running game? So I think that's a battle that I'm very curious to see. And and again, it's another one where my hope is is that it's not just a second tight end but a second tight end that does this a second tight end that does this and they you know a little bit of a deeper rotation so that's another really interesting battle that i'm going to see that i'm going to curious to see how it wages here as we get to fall camp you know the most exciting part about it for me is
2: i hope that there are those options behind michael mayer where you're saying this guy has more upside as a blocker this guy has more upside as a you know, detached type of player, more like a Kane Barong type of guy. And I hope that Tommy Reese has the option to pick how his offense wants to be run. Right. Cause I know in a perfect world, you're going to use both those guys, right? Like there's going to mm-hmm. be certain situations where you need a better blocker as your second tight end, you need another better receiver as your second tight end. But I would love to see just the outlook of a Tommy Reese offense where he can kind of pick which guy he wants more, right. right? Like, which guy plays more snaps? Does he want to have the more dynamic element in the passing game? Does he want to have more of the blocker? Does he give Eli Raritan a legitimate shot? Because, I mean, one thing me and Brian were talking about yesterday was that uh, that p- picture that Jared Parker put out yesterday, man, of some of those tight ends. I was like, yeah. oh, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those guys. Are Ryan's like, who's
1: the dude with the Toon Squad shirt on? Because he didn't look like a freshman. No. But yeah, that was Eli Raritan. and Holden. Yeah. Everybody talks about Eli Raritan. Did you see the picture of Holden Stace? He's a big kid. Somebody man. told me like, yeah, he's a little undersized. I'm not sure we we're ready to play him. I'm like, if that's undersized, man, I I would. <laughs> that's an
2: that's it's, an impressive
1: looking undersized dude right it's, there.
2: It's six four and some change, two hundred forty something pounds, maybe yeah, two fifty undersized. Yeah. I, I don't I don't get that. Yeah, one. he's an impressive
1: looking one. kid. It's a talented sure room is. and 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 I felt bad for Kane Barong in that picture because those <laughs> photos can be very misleading from yep. a size standpoint, height standpoint, because, you know, like the way it is, the closer you are to the camera, the bigger you're going to look, right? And it's sure. going to be more distorted than it is in person. Well, Kane's like the furthest person, like right in the middle of the of the oval, you know? And so Kane looks like this little tiny guy. And I'm like, I stood next to Kane Barong like a month and a half ago, and he doesn't look that small. You know what I mean? Like, he's a good-sized kid, but it's an impressive tight end room. But, look, the reality is, I'm not worried about the talent of the tight end room. And this is where people have to understand talent, however, doesn't equal production, right? Execution equals production. Now, the talent behind that level of execution is going to determine your ultimate success. But I've heard people say, I'm not worried about tight end. Well, you should be because somebody has to prove themselves. And until someone proves themselves, it's something we should be concerned about. It's like people say, I'm not worried at all about Tyler Buckner. Well, that's the opposite extreme to he's going to suck, right? <laughs> that because of a bad three throws against Virginia Tech or something like that, right? Like they're both, to me, improper reactions. The proper reaction is this kid's super talented, but he has to now go show that that talent can turn into production on Saturdays. Same thing with Kane Barong. Same thing with with uh, Eli Raritan. Same thing with Holden Stay. Same thing with Kevin Bauman. The whole group, had there's talent there. But can that talent turn into production and uh, impactful of production? Whether it's as blockers, whether it's as pass catchers, or both, and I think that's where the question mark re- is. And it's the same thing at receiver. I have no doubt about the talent. No doubt about the talent. I have pr- questions about the about the depth. But if all the guys play to their potential, this is going to be a good receiving core. It is. Sure. Yep. But that's the question: Will they play to their potential? And that's the that's the why it's important for me to be hearing the right things during fall camp about the battle of tight end and and wide receiver and I'll also say this about tight end too Brian I know we're
2: looking just specifically for the 2022 season for making this the best team it also would be kind of nice though for the future circumstance and understand who the next tight end is right because I think Mm -hmm. that there's I mean I wouldn't be shocked if Kane Barong takes the opportunity to be the second tight end and he's just kind of transitions into the guy after Michael Mayer I wouldn't be shocked if it's Eli Raritan, I wouldn't be shocked mm-hmm. if it's Holden stays. I think there's a bunch of guys. There's not a
1: guy in that group that would shock me if he won the number two tight end job.
2: 100%. That's 100%. It. I mean, it's just, it's such a talented group. I mean, and that, I mean, going into the season, you thought it was probably going to be Mitchell Evans. And it, it, I mean, that just, I think it really is kind of a, it's kind of more just a compliment to the depth that they've able to accumulate a tight end. It's not proven right now. Cause you're talking about a bunch of, freshmen and sophomores but man there is some big time ability in this tight end room outside even
1: outside of Michael Mayer that's offense Ryan let's talk defense defensively we're like offensively like quarterback's a big battle in the offensive line but the others are like you know depth and uh, defensively there's actually some starting battles that are going to wage now I think in most of these you're going to see whoever's involved in the battle play Mm-hmm. But I do think who wins these jobs kind of matters. And and as we said before with offense, why, why they win the job. And mm-hmm. we're going to kind of work front to back. So it's not order of importance. We're just going to work front to back because they're all important. I think the first one is big end. And I think this is a big one too, because I'm, I'm pretty confident based on what I've heard that Riley Mills is going to win that job. I'm going to be honest. You, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Riley Mills train, right? Ryan, you know, you know mm-hmm. my stance of what I think about Riley Mills and the kind of player he can be. However, I do hope it's a little harder for him this this fall than maybe some people think, and and what I mean by that is, I would like to see uh, whether it be Tyson Ford or Alexander Ahrensberger, who's a guy that could be there, Nana Osafa Mensa, somebody like that play so well that all of a sudden Riley's like, okay, okay, my dude is bringing it today, and now I got to bring it right? right, and I and I always want to see that because if Riley Mills gets close to playing to what his potential could be for this season, Notre Dame's defensive line is going to be really filthy, like really good because here's something about Riley that I don't think a lot of people uh, appreciate yet. Cause we just haven't seen him in that role again, but I would really encourage you to go back and watch the Virginia game. Yeah. And the reason I say that is, is because remember that's the game where Myron tongue below, got sick before the game and, they just bumped Riley out to big end, and he responded with two sacks. Now Virginia doesn't have a great offensive line, we we, sure. we know that, sure. but Riley looked what much more comfortable out there than he did inside. And the one thing I did like about Riley last year, his his production was pretty good. I mean, if you look at it, he had three sacks as a sophomore. That's more than what Jerry Tillery had his first two seasons. It's what Jason more than what Jason Mule had his first two seasons. So he, his production was pretty decent, but he looked more comfortable. Playing in space than he did inside, and that surprised me a little bit because yeah. of how big he is, right? Like, because you remember he was an end in high school. He was like a three-four end that would occasionally play inside, but then also would would play and rush off the edge. He looked really comfortable. He's very long and he's huge. I mean, he's a legitimate two eighty-five plus. It, it, but he, but here's the thing: he is a much better athlete than people think, but even more importantly, he's a more natural pass rusher than the last couple big ends that they've had. I would argue the last three big ends that they've had since they transitioned to this defense. Khalid Kareem, Adi Ogandiji, and and Myron Tungvalu. I would rank them as pass rushers. Adi number one, Khalid number two, just as pass rushers, uh, Mm -hmm. because Khalid was the best player of the group, and and I don't know if it was close. Khalid was a very underrated player for Notre Dame, and also because he was a money player for Notre Dame. Like we've talked about that, and then I would put Myron number three as a big end. Now sure. they were all good football players. Mm-hmm. I think Riley has the highest ceiling as a pass rusher than mo- the best natural feel as a pass rusher than all of them. So I I I don't expect this to necessarily be a a, a battle if Riley's who we think he's going to be. But he I but then my response to that is right? I'm putting him, however, in the same category I'm putting in Tyler Buckner. Yes, he's talented, but I got to see it. He's got to show it to me now that he's the guy. He didn't start off the spring great, finished Mm -hmm. strong. Now he's got to show me that he can carry that into fall camp, not kind of take a step back, then get good again. He's got to carry that to fall camp. I'm hearing great things about the work he's put in the summer, Uh, He just recently won one of the Workout Warrior awards for Notre Dame. See that picture? He's a monster. Uh, So I'm hearing good things about him, but he's got to now take that into the fall. Uh, And and and, but my hope is even if he does, I'm hoping that he gets pushed because if he gets pushed, and Alexander Ehrensberger's kind of saying, "Hey man, Riley, love you, man. Don't take today off. Because if you do, you're going to let me gain on you." And that's what Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to see in the spring or in the fall.
2: I forgot to tell you this, Brian, I had someone in more in the NFL draft sphere, a little higher up that said uh, that messaged me the picture of Riley Mills and was like, uh, so who's this guy? And I'm like, yeah, he's, pro- he's probably going to be a breakout guy for Notre Dame. We'll, we'll-, we'll see how uh, yeah. he continues to develop. But yeah, he's an impressive looking cat, man. Great length. Like you said, he's even though he didn't start the spring great, like you said, he got better as, as the spring went on. And then in the spring game, man, he was unblockable. Like they couldn't yeah. do anything with Riley Mills. So I agree with you. He needs to distance himself because there's good players there, right? Like I like Alexander Aaronsberger. I think he has pretty nice upside, obviously, with him continuing to get used to the game and developing that frame. I mean, he's a legit right near six, seven long arms, and he's starting to fill out. He's 255 pounds now. And then you got a guy like a Nano Asafimensa who. Hasn't been spectacular, but he's played some football at Notre Dame, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a couple guys that I think are good defensive ends, you know, that are that are playing against yeah. Riley Mills. I just think that it's so much. It's the fact that right now Riley Mills has separated himself in that competition, but he needs to just end it, right? Like he needs to be like, I'm the dude here. I'm the next breakout star on this defensive line. If he hits near his ceiling, then man, it is going to be tough for teams down the stretch if they have to start kind of slide in some protections to Riley Mills instead of sliding every protection to Isaiah Foskey, right? And that's the big thing too, Brian, is whoever's the strong side defensive end, I know obviously you're working against tight ends a ton and a little bit more clutter, but you're also going to get some one-on-one opportunities because you know that protection is going to be slid to Isaiah Mm -hmm. Foskey. So taking advantage of those one-on-one opportunities is going to be huge for that position. And I really hope that Riley Mills is the guy that takes that onus because for Notre Dame to compete on a championship level – that is the guy that they need, right? right? Like I think not, not all, you can win games with Nana, Mensa, you can win some football games with Alexander Ahrensberger. There's no doubt, but at championship level, I think you need Riley Mills to be the dude.
1: I'm going to build onto that and, and clarify it a bit. And I think you're going to sure. agree with me on this, Ryan. Uh, and that's not a threat. That's just a, a prediction. <laughs> so I think you, you can, win agree a cha- with yes. me. <laughs> you're going to agree with me on this. I'm confident in it, Ryan. Um, no, it, it's I, I. You and I have talked about this, and I, and I because I think I think this is what you're saying is what I think. You can absolutely, and I think Notre Dame can absolutely win a championship with Nana Osafa Mens and Alexander Ahrensberger as filling a role, right? And that's the thing I love. They're they're guys that if they're if they're your depth pieces, meaning you know Alex can kind of play some three technique, can play some big end. He brings some pass rushing prowess to the table and some length. Nana not really has not shown himself to be a, a great pass rusher in games but he's a really stout point of the attack run defender, right? And and bring some of that power football to the table. If Riley breaks out and he's the dude, then that allows you with Alex and Tanana to say, okay, let's now build around your strengths. That's going to make them much better players as well. That's how you build a great depth chart, in my opinion, because – You know, because like you nailed it there. Not only are teams going to slide their protection to to Isaiah Foskey, but who else is on that side of the defensive line? The three technique, Jason Adamiola. And so Riley's got to be that guy in base downs. Then when they get the third down, you know, maybe you slide him inside with Jason. And now Justin and Isaiah are, are on the edges, or you know yeah. Isaiah and Jordan Patelho, or Justin and Jordan Patelho, and you put Isaiah inside. You know, there's all types of different. Things I, you I can wouldn't do. even
2: be upset if you saw Aaron, um, Alexander Arensberg working inside in some pass rushing downs. Not at, at all. I mean, against either.
1: like Ohio State and USC yeah. and 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 North Carolina, I yep. flat out would have him playing inside in some of those games. I, and there's times against those teams too. I'd put Riley back inside with him and Jason inside, with Justin as an edge, in in some base downs against teams that are trying to – I don't know if Ohio State's the team I would do that against because I do think Ohio State is going to try to come out in the opener and establish the run game more than they did last year. I think that's something that they're going to really try to assert themselves on, so you need to make sure you can stop that first. Sure. But when you talk about, like, playing North Carolina, when you talk about playing, like, USC, there may be some times we do see Riley back inside in some base downs. In, in different looks so it, it's it's going to be interesting but as you said ryan it's going to be a battle i don't think riley has not done enough yet to me from what i've been told and from what we've seen to just okay he's the starter at big end sure right sure. he's got to now build on what he did in the spring we think he's going to win that job but i do think there is a position battle that will rage and the hope is that it's over quickly if it's because yep. look here's the thing from what i've been told about nana He's been putting in work over the last year. From what I've been told about Alexander Aaronsberger, he's a worker. Effort's never been a problem. So if Riley seizes hold of the job, it's because he's playing well. It's not because the other guys aren't working. Sure. And so that's why I kind of hope it's over quickly. But he's going to have to prove it, and that's why we're we are talking about that today. Because like, if you listen to what we're talking about, it sounds like that well, doesn't sound like much of a battle, guys. Right? <laughs> but in in you're correct, but again, it's kind of like quarterback. He's got to prove it. He's got to prove it. And the hope is, is like we said, that he's not starting because he's just the most talented guy, but because he's earned it by beating out those other guys and proving himself to be the better guy. And then the other part of the battle is, okay, you won, you earned the job, but are you, did you earn the job in a 60 40 snap split? Did you earn the job in a 50 50 snap split a 65 35 snap split? Because the more of that you've earned, the better you have played. And I think that's the other right. part of, of this equation.
2: It, it's, it's a fight until the last punch, right? Like the last mm-hmm. punch has not been thrown yet. So I agree with you. Right. It's something where there is definitely a, a there's a gap that has been created, but for Riley Mills to be the best version of himself, he needs to feel the pressure. That's the biggest thing. We keep talking about that, right? But I want Nana Asafa Mensah and Alexander Ahrensberger to come into the fall and be like, it's not going to be that easy, man. Like you, you have to end this right now, right? Like you have to make that last punch. So, for Riley Mills to take that step is 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 what Notre Dame needs. They mm-hmm. need that type of player because, like you said, Brian, like I also said, Isaiah Fossey is going to have a lot of attention this year, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are just going to be like, "That number seven's not going to beat us, right?" We're not going to. Cincinnati's going the to.
1: only team that actually tried to do that last year, and you know what? For the most part, us. they did. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but but here's the thing about Isaiah: he's so yeah. good that he's still, still going to win that about. rush. But yeah, on the play exactly. that we're talking about. Right. And we're talking about Isaiah got them back in that game. They're down 70, nothing in Cincinnati. I strip believe sack. it crossed the midfield yep. and Isaiah has a strip sack. But if you go watch that play, Desmond Ritter was looking to throw Alexander Ehrensberg got his six, seven arms up, mm-hmm. got his face and, and forced him to bring it down. When he brought it down, that's when Isaiah came with the strip sack. Drew White yep. picks it up. They run it back. Notre Dame ends up punching in the end zone. It, that's why the big end is important. Because mm-hmm. if the big end doesn't make a play on that now now, did he do anything to get credit for the sack or any no. But right. him doing his job and, and being a long athletic kid resulted in your dude coming across and making that play. Cause they were actually trying to roll I, I I'd have to go back and look at the play. I think they had moved the pocket away from him. And that's how he was... got in 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 uh in out because it was to the left.
2: Yeah, it was it still it was, to the left. The, it was to the left hash. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So 100%. uh you know it's 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 gonna be an interesting situation to to see how that plays out because and
2: can I yeah, can go. I also say I would like to and I don't want to undersell for a second, Riley Mills can't play hundred percent of the snaps at big end next year, right? Like they also need one of those guys to assert themselves. If it's both of them, fantastic. But mm-hmm. again, they need Alexander Ahrensberger and Nana Safimensa to come into the fall and be like, it's not going to be easy. And if it's not easy, then it helps depth as well.
1: And it, yes, it it makes Riley better and it makes your depth better. And that's how you win a championship. Because again, Notre Dame is going to have a very good defensive line. They've had a very good defensive line in 2021. They had a very good defensive line in 2020. They had a very good defensive line in 2019. I would say they had an elite defensive line in 2018. Is that fair? But the difference between being very good and being elite is the difference between being a team that goes ten and two or eleven and one and then goes into the postseason and loses to the same and a team that you say, Hey, we're gonna win a championship because of this group. And I think as good as the defensive line has been, it has not been good enough to say, get on our back, we're gonna do this, like Georgia's defensive line, in my opinion, did last year. As much sure. as I love the linebackers of Georgia, and I do, I'm a huge N'Kobe Dean fan. Like I love watching that kid play. But the reality is, is he benefited from having a phenomenal defensive line in front of him. And it wasn't one a, dude.
2: easy reads. Yeah. It wasn't one dude like Jordan
1: Davis got all the, the love. I would argue he was their third best defensive lineman last year. You can make that comment. Yeah. You can, right? you can make that argument. You can. Yeah. Right. I thought, I thought Jalen Carter was their best defensive lineman last year. And I yep. thought Trayvon Walker was better than, he was certainly more impactful than, than Jordan Davis was Jordan Davis would like have these spurts where he'd do something really phenomenal. And then he just like, he played 25 snaps a game and and like you know just kind of yeah. eat space.
2: Don't forget about Devontae Wyatt, too. Who went in the first There's nine. another one. It's crazy. A, man. Didn't he it's get drafted crazy. last year? Yay, 28th overall to the uh Packers in the first round, Devontae Wyatt. Yeah. And he yeah.
1: we just got done talking about him not even being in the top three defensive linemen for Georgia. Yeah. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. The, the, so so that's just being really good and being elite, is where 100%. you are impacting games and it can't just be Isaiah Foskey. You are Alabama was not an elite D line last year. Uh, they had an elite player, sure. right? And that's the difference of all the guys we just talked about uh, Georgia, none of them are as good as Will Anderson, but I'll take Georgia's front seven over Alabama's any day of the week. No, Why? No. Because it wasn't just one dude. Now Alabama's D line wasn't bad. They were really good. They, they were what we've said a lot about They're really good that they, but they were fueled by one great player. Sure. Georgia had several impact players, and that's why Riley Mills winning this battle, but being pushed, but then earning it and why Jason Adamiola stepping up this year are so important. Those two guys, I would argue, are going to have a bigger say on whether this line is elite than Isaiah Foskey, because Isaiah Foskey could be the de- best defensive end in the country, and it still doesn't make their defensive line elite. It's sure. those other guys stepping up. Yep. Great. Let's career. talk about Mike Linebacker, Ryan. I think this is a big one too you've got J.D. Bertrand one. we we yeah. believe J.D. Bertrand is going to slide into Mike this year which is going to open up an opportunity for Maris Luefow and Prince Colley to kind of take over the Will Linebacker job which we talked about yesterday in the sophomore defender defender show Mike Linebacker is going to be a battle and it's not just two dudes it's not just J.D. Bertrand and Bo Bauer Junior to Alamaka, kind of you know what what was what was the scene from Bull Durham I want to announce my presence with authority, oh, right? Yeah. Junior yeah, yeah. did that in the spring. Junior announced his presence with authority. I, we've talked about this before, Ryan. But but for those who are new to the channel, one of the things we heard a lot during the spring was when we would talk to people that had been to Notre had been to Notre Dame practices in the spring. Like it, it, I would like, hey, I don't know who this 44 is. There was two kids. They would constantly mention to me it was 21 and 44. 21 being Jane Mickey, 44 being Junior. Hey, I don't know who this 44 kid is. But that dude's a ball because like some of these guys they don't follow recruiting, you know they're just like was that a transfer? Because junior looks like a grown man. Like you see junior like that's not a an eighteen year old freshman in college, right? Who should still it's be a, in high school, right? It's a two hundred
2: thirty five, two hundred forty pound grown man. Yes, is what he is. yeah.
1: And 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 his so he doesn't look like so. Uh, was he a trans guy? Asked me, is he a transfer? Like did they get a transfer? I'm, nope, that's junior to Alamaca. You know what I mean? Uh Size. He was he was twitchier this spring than I, than I saw him in high school, which is a great sign. Um, You know, he's a guy that to me is got a chance to step in and say, Hey, you guys are good players, but you're going to have to battle with me. Yes. And that's, that makes this a very, very interesting conversation. Very interesting conversation with Bo and J D because I, I feel like Brian, I feel like a lot of people underrate JD Bertrand because I thought he had a good
2: year mm-hmm. last year, you know. I mean, there was there's definitely stuff that he needs to clean up. There's no doubt. There's some limitations to him. But I mean, we saw the the, the uh the spring grades from the NFL, and JD Bertrand has a draftable grade going into next mm-hmm. year, and he's on like every single buckus award watch list and all these types of things because he's he had over 100 tackles last year. So I think JD's mm-hmm. a good football player. Bo Bauer is a physically impressive football player that we've seen in Spurs, right? Like he's got length. He's, he's explosive. There's a lot of good things about Bo Bauer. He hasn't put it together, obviously, but the fact that we are going into the fall with an opportunity for a freshman and junior to, LaMaca, to make some noise against a guy that just had a hundred plus tackles in his first, year, not even a full year as a start. He wasn't even supposed to be the starter. I mean, well he ended up starting the whole year, but he wasn't supposed to be the starter entering the season until Maris Loifau got, got, got injured. So And he's also moving over from Will to a more natural Mike position, which I think is going to help him tremendously. So I'm excited to see this one, Brian, because I I have to be honest, I think a lot of people overlooked Junior Toyo Lamaca a little bit because it's like Jalen Sneed's a freak, uh, Josh Burnham's a freak, and Nolan Ziegler's a really athletic kid as well. There's an assumption that Junior Toyo Yamaka is just kind of this stiff, lumbering linebacker, you know, the true Mike. But he left the spring as the most impressive linebacker from a – play perspective right like he's Mm -hmm. got good eyes he's got good understanding of how to play the position and he's going into the spring and he has a chance to push and he does and i i mean going into the fall excuse me and he has a chance to push and i would not be shocked if by the end of the season junior toylamaca was not the starting mike
1: for notre dame i would not be shocked i I wouldn't wouldn't be be shocked be based off if there's an injury to jay and i've said this before too i agree with you i think it would require jd to get hurt which is Possible. He's been banged up before. He's coming off of an injury, sure. but the reason we started with junior is because to me juniors are floor. Yeah. Right. Like, if the veterans don't step up their game, if JD doesn't tackle better, if Bo doesn't do a better job on assignments and and being gap correct and and those type of things, then they will get beat out by Junior Chialamaca. because he's the most natural linebacker that they have. Are going to be the most natural. Mean, oh, excuse me. He's the most natural Mike linebacker they have, and arguably the most natural linebacker period that they have. So when I when I look at a guy like Junior, like, okay, he's the floor. Okay, what do the veterans do in response to him? And and that's that's kind of why I have some excitement about what this linebacking core is going to be. I, you know, the linebacking core was very disappointing last year. I, I, I did some research on this last week, and I, and I've looked it up in the past. and I'm trying to remember what the specific numbers were. But just kind of off the top of my head, like the linebackers last year had something like 18 tackles for loss. And they've had years where the linebackers have been like recently where the linebackers are like over 30. Like the worst year at be other than this was like 24 and a half. And so the 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 impact production just wasn't there. The tackles were there, but like the impact production wasn't there. And they needed to be there. And part of the reason that I'm excited about this group is because I feel like things, things involving like you know JD's question marks or Bo's question marks, all those type of things. Like if those guys are starting over juniors, it's because they've improved their games. And 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 when you look at JD Bertrand, I think he's kind of the leader in the clubhouse going into fall camp if he's healthy, and I expect him to be. But he was he was recovering in the spring from things that were a result of injuries, you know, bumps and bruises and injuries he sustained during the fall. So I assume he's going to be healthy. But when you look at him. It's a situation where he, to me, was a good player last year, a pretty good player for Notre Dame last year. But there were ways that good teams could get him into bad positions, where his lack of length hurt him. Now, what's interesting is some there was a comment on the message board, maybe as a, a chat the other day, where somebody questioned, you know, like I hope that they can have somebody more athletic. Look, J.D. Bertrand's issues are not athleticism. jd's a pretty athletic kid like he's matter of fact i he's i mean we thought drew drew white was a solid athlete i liked Mm -hmm. drew white a little bit more than ryan did we were in the same ballpark on on his athleticism jd bertrand is a is is a noticeably more explosive athlete than drew white is he's also a little bigger than drew is taller and thicker and a little bit longer but and the half also
2: ran like Drew ran like what four six high at his yeah, at the pro day. yeah. like he's he can, he can run a little bit, yeah.
1: Like, yeah. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, for you know, I mean, that's pretty good. And and JD's more explosive. So to me, Manti ran in the four sevens, right? If I remember correctly, I believe so, maybe four so, eight.
2: Like he wasn't very, yeah, very
1: fast, straight line, but yeah, JD's more explosive than Drew was. I think that moving inside to Mike is going to make J.D. Bertrand, you know, the guy that led Notre Dame in tackles last year, the guy who the only linebackers to have more solo tackles in the last 15 years than him was a cat named Manti Teo and a cat named Jalen Smith. And the highest that 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 Manti ever had was like 69. And the highest that Jalen ever had, I think, was 66. Mm-hmm. J.D. had 63. That's right? Nice. Like uh, Tavon Coney tied him. Remember we were talking the other day about Tavon Coney's a tackling machine mm-hmm. in solo tackles? JD Bertrand had as many as Tavon Coney, and only Jalen Smith beat him twice. It was like by one and by like three. And Manti beat him by like six the year that Manti was. I think Manti did it in 2011. I don't think he did it in 2012. I think it was 2011. Manti had 69. So uh, you're, you can, that's, that's pretty good production. Now, where, where I think you're going to see a jump from JD is I think playing Mike is going to give him more opportunities to play, to make tackles behind the line. The reason I say that. It should be the other way around. Will is usually Mm -hmm. the position where it's more, but I think J.D.'s game being better suited. J.D. missed a lot of chances for stops behind the line last year because he was coming for more distance. I think this year you're going to see him getting a chance to make those plays more downhill, right? And and I think that's going to suit him. So I think J.D. is – if I had to predict today, I'd predict J.D. wins this battle. And and I think he's going to be really good. But the, the coaches love Bo Bauer, understandably. Yep. And and he's tall, he's long, he's really explosive and twitchy downhill. Mm-hmm. He arrives with force. He's going to play like his hair is on fire. And when you consider how much hair he has, that's, <laughs> you know, right? But the thing for Bo is if Bo going to be a legitimate contender for the starting job, he's going to get a shot. But if he's going to be a legitimate contender, he's going to have to become a more disciplined instinctive player because those are two things that he's just never shown i will never again say a guy cannot learn that as a fifth year senior because asmar Bilal flat blew that theory out of the water I, i've always felt if a guy doesn't show instincts in a feel for the game by his fifth year he's never going to and asmar was like bet right i mean yeah. so I, you know i'll always say that there's a chance bo has got to um, show that that's the thing is the physical tools are are nice. They're good. They're they're. He's got some some athleticism, and he's a monster on special teams. It's just the feel for the position. That's why most of the big plays he's ever made are in third down, where he's just mm-hmm. kind of got. Here's your job. You know, one job. Go do it. You're dropping Part-man under the hook. You're you're yeah. you're blitzing the a gap. You know, there's not as much read and react. It's just go, mm-hmm. for him.
2: Yeah, and I, I think Brian. For me, it's. I'm interested to see Bo Bauer, but I also think that when, cause I mean, J.D. Bertrand's the incumbent, obviously, right? Like he's playing a different position, but he was starting linebacker for Notre Dame last year. And I, if I'm J.D., I'm looking and I'm saying, you know, Bo's a really talented player, but I've, I've seen Bo, right? Like he's a known commodity to me. Junior Toya Lamaca is a completely unknown commodity. I mean, I know he saw him in the spring, but he's going to go into his first fall competing with a, freshman that he's never really seen play football probably other than maybe a huddle highlight and what he saw in the spring so i think that's why it's so interesting to me is that there's it you're like threatened sometimes by the unknown right so it's going to be kind of one of those situations where for jd to be the best version of himself he's going to be looking behind him and say like who is this freshman man like i saw him in the spring he was good but like now he's like nipping at my heels man and Mm -hmm. i'm supposed to be like the guy right like i'm on all these watch lists and i've already Mm -hmm. been graded by the nfl and like all this type of stuff like i'm i'm a good football player yeah but then you have a freshman coming in which is another hat tip to the staff like what a a phenomenal freshman class they put together i know everyone knows that that's not breaking news but Mm -hmm. the fact that the one guy that i think a lot of notre dame fans were least excited about is turning heads like Mm -hmm. absolutely just putting himself on the map right so i'm excited to see it because bo bauer on top of the steadiness of, of JD Bertrand and hopefully the the plus and play and the new quantity that is a junior Toya LaMaca, Bo Bauer is a really important football player for this team. He's got some leadership qualities. He's a great special teamer. I'm probably their best special teamer, you would say, right? Is least from a coach perspective? Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, l- coverage, leadership, all of it. I mean, Bo yes. to me should be a team captain. Whether he starts the yes. middle linebacker or not, he should be a team captain. He should be the special teams representative as a captain. This year. 100%, 100%. No matter 100%. what happens to linebacker.
2: And honestly, even if he isn't the starting Mike and doesn't play like a significant role, he's going to get a shot at the NFL for yeah. just what he does in special teams and his length. Like that is going to give him an opportunity, right? Yeah. But he has the talent to do it. It's just about the mental side of the physical talent right exactly yes he has the length he has the athleticism he has he has more tools than JD Bertrand does from just a physical perspective JD is just a quicker processor he sees the game a little Mm -hmm. better right now Bo Bauer is a little bit of an enigma which is weird for a fifth year senior right like usually you would like to have a general understanding of that player at this point Mm -hmm. if we're being honest but it's going to be an interesting battle because we have literally every side. We have a redshirt junior who's the incumbent who just led your team in tackles. You have the redshirt senior who's an important part of your team. And then you have a true mm-hmm. freshman that is right. just kind of blown all expectations out of the water, at least from a spring perspective. So this is the ultimate, like, I, again, I also believe that J.D. Bertrand is going to be the starting Mike to at mm-hmm. least to start the season. Yeah, but it, it, this this is one of the ones where I'm just like, going to be like kind of interested to see it because there's a lot of different right. layers to this battle, a lot of different ones.
1: I think J.D. is going to be hard to beat out if he's healthy. I, I do. I think he's going to be hard to beat out if he's healthy, and especially as I go back and watch more film, I'm like, man, you put that at Mike, and he's going to be even more impactful. And just like little things, like he arrives at blockers with more force than Drew did. He just has more explosiveness you know he brings he packs a little bit more in his behind than drew did you know and and you know i there's no doubt that jd's gonna have to he's gonna be in for battle but from what i've been told about jd he's just one of those kids that is supremely confident he's very he's like a very like mild-mannered like respectful kid and you know, you saw his personality during the College World Series run. You know, he was they, him and Fosking guys were like going and you could hes just a very personable kid, you yeah. know, but very confident kid, too. And and very focused on the task at hand. And, and so I don't I don't know if like you're always going to be worried about the kid behind you in regards to like, you know, hey, look, this guy's coming. But from what I've heard learned about J.D., he is very fo- task oriented and he's going to be focused on his game. And I, I think those things are going to make him a little bit, a little bit tough, a little bit tough to beat. I did want to respond to a question related to this. Hunter Land asked, Does Bo have two years left? Uh, this COVID eligibility always makes things confusing. So this is the year that Bo's getting back because of COVID. So uh, he was he played as a freshman on special teams. I mean, he's been so he was he was in the 18 class. He played 18, 19, 20, 21. He played all four of those seasons. He was a special teams guy, played more than four games in all those seasons. So the only reason he's coming back this year is because of COVID. So Bo is what he, he's in the same boat that Kurt Heinrich was last year. So his fifth year was his COVID year. Uh, he didn't have another red shirt. Whereas Josh Lugg can come back this year for a sixth year because he had a red shirt and gets the, had. so he had the fifth year opportunity then you get the COVID stuff. It adds to the six. So the guys that are getting six years that are, are guys that had a red shirt season, whether it's a medical red shirt or a just a normal red shirt, those are the guys getting a sixth season because of COVID. And you had to have been on the team in 2020 for that to count. Right. And and so that's why Bo is back this year. So this just so to so we're clear, Hunter, it's a very good question. And I'm pretty sure you're not the only one that has it. That's why I wanted to address it this will be Bo's last year because this is the extra year that he got is 2022. Uh, Now JD is going to be a senior this year. He technically has two years of eligibility left. Yes. So he's what he's in the group of kids that it gets weird, right? Because he had a red shirt and you know, all that kind of stuff. So he's so technically
2: it, a redshirt junior, but he's all. But by the COVID standards, he's a redshirt sophomore. Correct. that extra Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right. Which
1: is just weird, but it is weird. It <laughs> is what it is. It is what it is. And so we'll see. We'll see that. But it's going to be a fun battle. And uh, the, the, I'll say this: the winner is going to is going to the, the guy that earns that job is going to always have to say, "Hey, you better bring it every week," because there can be no drop off. Because I got two other dudes going to be chomping at the bit, and that's the other part of it is what's the rotation look like? Because two years ago, Drew White, you know, he rotated, but he dominated the snaps. Last year, there was a lot more rotating going on at Mike Linebacker.
0: Mm-hmm. I wanted
1: to see kind of um, kind of how it works, you know, as far as sure. what's the rotation look. Is it going to be like a, a 50-50 split? Him and one, you know, J.D. and whoever the other guy is or whoever the starter is, is it going to be like a 60-30-10? Is it going to be a 50-30-20? That's the other part of this because they are going to want to have a rotation. Is it two guys? Is it three? Does Bo just focus on the nickel stuff and Junior and JD? get That's the that's part of this battle that makes it interesting. It's not just the starter battle that makes this Mike linebacker discussion interesting. Yeah, you know, so well, it, it's, it's, it's 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 going to be curious. It's going to be interesting.
2: That that's all. That's always the fun part of defense because like defense just relies so much on sub package now. It's like there's so many different roles. It's not just you're the starting Mike, and you're paying 100% of the snaps. No, I mean, you could departmentalize that position. You can work in the sub package as far as, like, if you're in a nickel or dime look. There's so many different things that you could do defensively now where even if you're not the starter in sub, you could be the starter in nickel, right? Like, you'd be the starter in di- as a dime mm-hmm. backer. It's right. so many different opportunities now, which I, I love the defensive side of the ball for that reason.
1: Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see more and more of that. I think it's also, and Marcus Freeman made a comment about this a year ago. He Mm -hmm. said, in this era of transfer, it's it's more so transfer related than it is NIL related. But in this era where kids can just transfer whenever, you're going to need to do things to keep kids happy. I mean, you may not want, you may not like that, but you need to do that. And I think that's partly why it's smart to bring in a guy like Al Golden. Because in the NFL, Ryan, like you're paying these guys to be on the team, you're going to find ways to use them. And and football in the NFL has become so situationally oriented. And a lot of teams, especially if you're good at drafting and signing, you know, free agents, you're building your depth to where you're not just playing eleven dudes. Especially now in these seventeen game league seasons. So you're seeing more and more sub packages. I should I said situational yeah. packages. I meant to say sub packages. Teams are doing way more sub packages now where, you know, and and that doesn't just mean you take out your third linebacker and put in a nickel. Sometimes that means you put in two different linebackers. (laughs) It can mean different things for different people. So I think there's roles for those guys. And it's the the era of, okay, you won the job. You're the starter at most positions. I think needs to be over. It needs to be over at running back. It needs to be over at receiver. It needs to be over at tight end. It needs to be over on every defensive, every player's on defense. There's, there's three positions on defense I don't want as much rotating. And I'll be honest, Mike is one because that's your quarterback of the defense. The other one is corner. I, I, I don't love rotating a corner because I feel like there's a lot that goes into as a corner of learning what the dude across from you is doing. I got to learn sure. his tricks. I got to learn, okay, when he does this, I know that. And that only comes from – you can see it on film to a degree, but you got to experience it. So, I think that's the other one. Then, on offense, obviously, offensive line for the most part and quarterback. But at most positions, you're seeing where, and and so, so all three of these guys could play. You know, Junior could be your short yardage, Mike, and a rotation guy. Bo could be your nickel guy, you know, and JD's your starter. I mean, so it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. But you want it to be because guys earned those jobs, you know, and then does Prince Colley factor into this conversation at all? That's the other part. So, yep. which we discussed yesterday, which we're not going to dive into again today. So, that is going to be, in my opinion, the most fun fall camp battle to watch Those is, is the great. Mike Linebacker. I don't want to spend a lot of time on cornerback Ryan. That is a position battle to keep an eye on. And the sure. reason why is because we talked a lot about it yesterday and, and yesterday's mm-hmm. show because the sophomore class was yesterday's show and, and the sophomore class, were the primary contenders. There's one player that I do want to discuss. Uh, well, two guys, I want to talk a little bit about Clarence Lewis. And then I want to talk about Jaden Mickey and the, the potential he could have in this, in this, con- him and Benjamin Morrison, the potential they could have in this cornerback battle. So Clarence Lewis is is interesting because there's a lot of Notre Dame fans that are just waiting and hoping he's going to get he, he's going to get beat out, right. uh, because I understand it right because of how he played in the bowl game and it wasn't just the bowl game it wasn't just like for JD I thought JD had a, a bad game right mm-hmm. but he was really good the rest of the year the problem with Clarence is that it, he kind of had that type of game against the, all the good teams they played. You know, like he didn't play well against Cincinnati. He didn't play well against Wisconsin. He just was benefited from the fact that Graham merch couldn't hit a pass to save his life beyond 10 yards. I mean, you saw it. Oh, yep. You saw the All-22 on that. He got beat three times on deep routes, and he was, I mean, flat beat. And Graham Merch mm-hmm. just either didn't see it or just missed it. Against, and, against
2: pretty average wide receivers, yes. too. It's not like, Wisconsin has a bunch of dudes. Right. But,
1: yeah. Right. So, But then there's other times you watch Clarence play, and you're like, that guy's not bad. That guy's pretty decent. So I don't know what it was with him last year. I think part of it was moving him around. I think moving him from field to boundary. He's a young guy. He was a sophomore last year. And right. I don't think he handled the boundary as well. Th- this is what's going to make this season really interesting. I don't think Clarence is a very good boundary corner. I think Clarence Lewis is actually a better field corner, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that, or I want to start there. I do. Do you think, when you watch his film, I see a much more noticeably better player to the field than I do the boundary, to the point where he was actually a good player to the field. When he struggled last year is when they made that switch from moving Mm -hmm. Cam to the field and they moved Clarence to the boundary. I, I think for me, and
2: I would love your insight on this too, Clarence is a kid for me that I think needs to take a little bit of chances, right? Cause he's not the most dynamic athlete at the position. Like he's a good, solid athlete. He's not a bad athlete by any stretch, but he's a kid that I think needs to play a little aggressive. He's the guy that needs to, you know, kind of stick his foot in the ground and, and, you know, get into the chest of a wide receiver and to the field. That's a lot easier in my opinion, because you have more help, right? Like more natural help in that instance. If you're in the boundary and you gamble and you miss, I mean there's a lot of one on one situations in the boundary right. right so that's where I think that I think that Clarence Lewis is definitely better because I don't think that his margin for error to the boundary is as high as it would be to the field because he's just going to have a little
1: more help around him. You're saying his margin for error in the boundary isn't as high as it is to the yes. field. Yes. Correct.
2: Okay. Because he's going to be in a lot more one-on-one situations. There's not as much help right. into the boundary into the field. There's a lot more guys that you can depend on over the top, underneath all that good stuff. Right. So you can take more chances and it might probably won't hurt you as much as it would hurting you into the boundary. Cam Hart, if he's in the boundary, right. He has maybe not the best jam ever and a guy gets a clean release. Well, he's six, two and a half and he can run. Right. So like mm-hmm. he has a chance to make up for that. There is a higher margin for error in that situation Clarence Lewis is not that length he's not that type of athlete so Mm -hmm. I agree I think to the field is much more advantageous because I want him to be aggressive because I think that I I don't know what the whole outlook from the spring was Brian but I saw him in one practice and I thought Clarence looked pretty good man he was sticky and he was aggressive and that's what i like to see out of him.
1: And his transitions were better he just looked a little cleaner because again he was a young player last year and we, all, we kind of forget that a little bit. You know, he's a sophomore. He's going to get better. But so I don't think it's a given that he's going to get beat out. I will say this, however, if he but it can't be because of the way he plays the way he did. He he has to make a big jump because if he doesn't make a big jump and nobody beats him out, I'm super concerned about cornerback at that point in time. 100%. Now, I, I want to clear up some, too. You can help a boundary corner. Ryan's not saying sure. you can't. The problem sure. is, as we've explained in the past. You don't want to, because if you have to put more numbers to the shorter side of the field, that means you have even fewer numbers to the wider side, which means more guys have to cover more space or fewer guys, excuse me, have to cover more space. So you can help a guy in the boundary, but the whole point of putting your best guy in the boundary, so you don't have to help him so he can, because his, his help is the boundary. It's the sideline. If you have to start, man, we got to really start working on buzzing our will up underneath stuff because you know, because we got to play our corner off. And so we need our, our will to be more involved in buzzing the flats or buzzing under a hook curl because we can't put our corner in man or we have to do more where our safety is playing over the top more or protecting against yeah. the post more. You've now, to, your, high, right. Right. you've now taken weapons away from your high right. Right. You've now taken weapons away from your run defense, and you've taken weapons away from your other pass defense because you have a boundary corner that can't cover one on one that's not a place you want to be and so I I still haven't I' hope maybe I'll get the explanation sometime soon but I never got explained to why they made that switch I, I so I, I'm very curious about that like look I think cam Hart can do both at a high level I, I do agree but agree. i I would like to have seen I, I would like to see cam go back to the boundary to be honest with you and I, I don't know if that's in the, pa- the the plans or not but if not then they need somebody like Ryan Barnes to then push Clarence to the at that position. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting, unless Clarence can make a big jump. But again, I don't. The problem is, I just don't know if Clarence has the long speed to play the boundary, and he doesn't right. have like the length that a Ryan Barnes has. Where if he does, you know, get beat by half a step, which is the difference between a, a four five and a four four, he's got that. He's six three. He's got super long arms. You know, those type of things. Clarence is like five eleven and a half. Right. right. That that's it. Meaning, if he's a step off. He's beat, sure. right? That's that's the difference. Uh, so I'm very curious how that's going to go this spring. And that's, that's something I'm looking for is it's not just does Clarence get pushed. I don't care if Clarence gets beat out or not. I don't. My questions are more of where's he going to play, and is he starting because he earned it or starting because the younger guys have not stepped up? That's the question sure. for me, not is he going to start. I'm not one of those rooting for Clarence not to play. I don't care who starts. I just want the guy that starts to play well. Yep. But if, if it's because the, you know, Barnes just isn't pushing them or Riley's not pushing them or Tucker's not pushing them or the freshmen aren't ready, I'm going to be real concerned about a couple games this year. There's no well, doubt about it.
2: If, if they don't make the switch and Cam is still playing to the field, it is very difficult to hide a, a, a corner that's not playing well into the boundary, you know? So whoever that is, whether it is Clarence or it is Ryan or it's Philip Riley or whoever ends up being that guy, Chance Tucker, mm-hmm. whatever, that guy is going to have the – The bullseye on them a little bit, you know. Like there's gonna, Mm -hmm. there's gonna be some teams. I mean, what you thought? I think of like last year against USC, right? Like you're gonna have your games where you're going against a Drake London. Like it's gonna Mm -hmm. happen. We're in the boundary. It, for me, it was like it's not even the fact that Clarence is like not the most physically gifted player of all time, Brian. It's also the fact of like you remember that double move that Drake London hit last year, where it's just like mm-hmm. Clarence, why are you biting, on right. that, sir? Like that doesn't you've been giving sense.
1: him that hitch all game, right? He because like so much of Drake's production last year was just we're letting you have that, sure. Like we're letting you have that because we know eventually we're gonna make a stop, and we know once the field gets because here's what Notre Dame's strategy. What you don't want to let USC do is rip off the 50-yard play because you knew once the field gets condensed in the red zone, you got them, right? Because now they don't have as much room. Now you can bring everything up. You're not as worried about them running by you. And now you can take away that stuff, which is why they held him to 16 points, despite the fact Drake London had, what, like 15 catches for over 200 yards? A lot yeah. of it was just kind of give me numbers. You know, he didn't he didn't have the dominance you'd expect the guy to have that had those numbers, Right. Mm-hmm. Except for that one play, and that was just like, why? Like, like why? you said, why are you doing that? Like, there's no sure. need for that. But again, it's a sophomore. He's yeah, going to have absolutely. to make the mental and technical jumps this season. Big fu- fundamental and like mental and technical jumps that you'd expect a sophomore to make going into his junior year. There, there's yeah. no doubt about it.
2: And I expect it because there's some really talented players behind him, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that. Unless Ryan Barnes and the the rest of the sophomore class does not come to play and the Jaden Mickeys of the world and Benjamin Morrison when he gets here Mm -hmm. when he, well, he is here when he starts Mm -hmm. playing in the fall. Unless those guys are just all don't take a step, which I I find it hard to believe that there's what's that five other players that just don't take a jump, right? Like someone's Mm going to take a jump out of that group. So as long as there's a couple guys that do take a nice jump, Clarence Lewis is going to have to play better because there's a lot of talent behind him. Right. No doubt
1: about it. And that's the key. If he wins the starting job and those guys step up, then they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. They're going to be pretty good at corner. It, it, so the, the two guys that I'm very curious to see this fall, because we've seen freshmen have great springs, and then the more things get put on their plate, they fade in the fall. We've seen that. Does that happen to Jaden Mickey or not? I, I, I don't think it will. Just mm-hmm. Just the way he is. But he also was like, when we saw the play that Brayden Lindsay smoked about like 15 yards with just a simple little, just a jab, you know, he's got yeah. a work to do as well. Benjamin Morrison's a very talented player. I mean, you, you know how high I am on him. Uh, he's, uh, you know, like I said, he's the highest graded corner that Notre Dame has signed, in my opinion, in the last 10 years. Wow. And, you know, the last guy that I graded out as high as him was T. Shepard, who I thought was really good coming to high school. He just had other issues, right? But he was a very talented player. Yep. it. But but he, I also will admit that Benjamin is raw, and there's a higher gap between his floor and ceiling than there is for Jaden Mickey, right? Mm-hmm. So, But how how quickly can those two push at this spot is really going to be very telling for me. Because I'm actually not concerned about – as long as Tariq Bracy is the guy we saw the second half of last year, I'm not worried about the nickel. I'm really not. Sure. I think Tariq's really sure. good there. The, I'm more concerned about the field corner spot or you know the the second corner spot do the can the freshmen and or the sophomores provide enough push to where if clarence starts you were all sitting there saying don't worry everybody he's going to be all right right Right. that's going to be the key for me is is the young guys
2: i would like your input on this one brian I really liked a lot of what I saw from Jaden Mickey in the spring. I mean, he mm-hmm. has that swagger. He competes. It is awesome, man. He's got that energetic look. If Cam Hart's to the field, though, and the competition is now about who is going to play a lot into the boundary, and that's kind of where Jaden is getting pegged a little bit, he worries me into the boundary right. just a little bit because he's, he's undersized.
0: Gonna and he's yeah. going to gamble. A little that's bit, another right? like point. He's aggressive.
2: Yeah. He's aggressive. To the field, be aggressive, right. sir. 100. Again, you have a little more help to the field than you're going to have to the boundary. There's no doubt. But if he is a guy that is legitimately up for the boundary spot, spot side, I'm just like, man, he's. There's going to be some points where like he just tries to jump something, then you hit a double move, and that's just that's all she wrote, right? Or he gets a little too aggressive at the line of scrimmage, he misses, doesn't move his feet adequately, get everything aligned, and that guy just runs a fade right by him. Like there's going to be those moments. That being mm-hmm. said. I want Jade Mickey to push the guys because he right. has that temperament where he's not only going to be he's not only going to play well and, you know, have his great reps. He's going to let you know about it. And that is the easiest way to start to push some buttons of some older guys. Right. You're going to see Clarence Lewis like, oh, Jane just had an interception and whatever. And then he's going to come to the sideline like, yep, I'm the guy, man. I'm the guy like that's me. Mm-hmm. That's me right there. And that's what pushes people right there. Because Jaden Mickey is going to get in your face, and I right. absolutely love it, right? Benjamin Morrison, I believe, is a much more natural boundary player, obviously, right. than Jaden Mickey. Agree. So he's the guy that, if yeah. that's the position that's open, I think he can come in and he can compete. I don't know if he – I don't know. Again, I wish he didn't come in for the spring. So he's going to be a guy that's just new to the fall, as far as on-field conversations, technical
1: happen. scheme adjustments, sure, language, terminology, sure. all that stuff, right?
2: So I think Benjamin Morrison is more a threat to take a lot of a chunk of the snaps later in the season, probably not as much early on. But he does have the talent to absolutely play this season to your to your points because you have a lot of uncertainty into the boundary
1: right now. If if I knew that Cam Hart was going to move to boundary. I honestly wouldn't be worried about cornerback at all. I wouldn't. I, I really wouldn't because one Me of either. two things would happen. Clarence is at his more natural position. He'll be fine. And I think that's a position where the young guys could have a better chance to play. Sure. Cause that's part of the reason that they didn't play Ryan Barnes last year. Cause he's a boundary guy and you can't put a young guy that's, this is what I was told about Ryan Barnes last year. Why he didn't play. He would look great for four snaps and then snap five. he. He'd turn somebody loose. When you're playing a bunch of close competitive games week after week after week, you can't put a freshman on the field that you know is going to get picked on because he's a freshman and he's not Cam Hart, that you're afraid that they're going to go right at him and you're not sure if he's going to if that's the snap, he's going to turn a guy loose. What I was told in the spring is he cleaned a lot of that stuff up. So that's a positive. And and so to me, like I would I wouldn't mind seeing cam be the i wouldn't mind seeing cam play both be honest with you because then you could put cam to the field on snaps when you want barnes into the boundary and then when barnes or morrison aren't on the field you put cam back to the boundary and then you know clarence and jaden are are working in the field or philip riley or chance tucker i wouldn't mind seeing something like that you know or just go left right that would be the other thing i would say
2: that's that's what I was going to ask: is if if Notre Dame, if let's say Ryan Barnes is that guy, and he kind of takes yeah. over the you know the majority of snaps at one starting position, and he is a consistent football player, yeah. maybe not a dynamic football player, but consistent, would you be willing to go left right compared to going boundary to field? So that yes,
1: I always I would pre- I would prefer my personal preference is mm-hmm. I prefer field boundary, and I mean excuse me right left, and I'll be honest, part of the reason is is as an offensive guy. If I know where one corner is going to be, that I know I want to go after, there's yeah. I can always you know I, it doesn't matter where the the last snap was, right? Because like you're kind of you got to be almost a couple plays ahead. Because if I want to go on after this guy in two plays, I kind of got to make sure that the play I run, you know, gets it to where I want to I want to go after that guy when he's in the boundary. Well, I better make sure I run a play that makes sure that the boundaries to his side of the field. I think that can be more challenging for an offensive coordinator. Sure. And and so, whereas I know no matter what I run the play before, I know on that snap where I want to go after that guy, he's going to be in the boundary because mm-hmm. they're a field boundary team or he's yep. going to be to the field. I, I think that would be the ideal thing for me. Plus, you're talking about two long dudes. Really long. That I think are both going to be good tacklers. I think it's another thing. Is is there, I think Cam, Cam will be remembered for the whole, Horrible miss tackle he had against Virginia Tech. he sure. kind of got caught between laying a guy out and he's like, Wait, a minute, I can't lay the guy out because then it's gonna be targeting. So then he kind of rolled into the guy and then just whiffed. And the guy runs for like 40 yards. <clears throat> but other than that, he was a pretty good tackler, right? Especially like, against screens. Like yeah, he's really good against screens. Really aggressive coming up and and physical. Yep. So he, he it's like sometimes you're remembered by the one bad play. You know, like Mike McGlinchey, there's still no Dame fans that don't think he was that good in 2017 because he had that one bad sack against Georgia. Mike McGlinchey was yeah. excellent in 2017. He had one bad play, came in a big moment. You sure. know, and that's kind of for Cam. It was like a night game, you know, on primetime TV, and he had that bad tackle. But if you go look at Cam throughout the whole season, he was a pretty darn good tackler, and that was his first year. Yeah. So, I, I, yes, you are correct. If if – I'll say this. If Morrison or Barnes win, or Chance Tucker – win the starting job opposite Cam Hart, I'd be all for going right, left. Because I think Chance is another guy that can play both. He can play – Chance has got – he's got some length, He's you know, because he, he's not as long as the other guys, but he's got some – he's got really long arms, he's smooth, he's very instinctive. I think he's a guy that could fit that boundary position really well, if, especially if he's as fast as the Notre Dame people tell me he is. Because that's one thing I was told is he's faster than they thought he was going to be. So I do think Chance is a guy that could also play boundary uh, and field. So those, yeah. if one of those three guys wins the job opposite of him, then I'd be totally fine going right left. And it could be a thing where maybe against teams like Ohio State, like North Carolina, like this, you know, other tempo teams, those are games where you maybe happen to maybe Clarence doesn't play as much in those particular matchups, and you go field, you go right left. Sure. right and then in other games when you're playing more traditional offenses or teams like that then you may you may go more field boundary depending on who you're playing mm-hmm. so it's going to be interesting how they do but at the end of the day Ryan as far as position battle goes it, it's going to all depend on who steps up this fall and who 100%. pushes right yep. I mean if it's clear that the the two best corners after you know other than Treek or the best corner other than Treek Bracey and Cam Hart is Clarence Lewis then you're going to be kind of I don't know if Clarence can do both, but I'll say this. If you think Clarence is a boundary player, then might as well go field boundary or go right left. Sure. At least then you get some snaps of him to the field. Uh, you know, my, my whole wrong. thing about it was more of if you're going to move Cam to boundary where he should be, if Clarence is your starter, then I sure. would rather go field boundary. But if yeah. you think Clarence is a boundary guy, then you might as well go right left in mm-hmm. my opinion. So what that means for those true. who don't know, and I'm sure most do, there's two ways to play your corners. Well, three, one is, I mean, just I want you to go wherever that guy goes, right? You know, it's a matchup thing. You can play matchup corners. The other two basic ways are you go field boundary, which means if I'm on the defense and I'm the boundary corner, the balls in the right hash, the right side is the boundary, the short side of the field. So I'm going to the right. If the next play they throw a bubble screen and it gets tackled outside in the, the, of the hash and they switch it over to the other hash, The boundaries now to the other side of the field. What teams vary on is if it's middle of the field, they may go a strength call, and then the boundary guy would go opposite the strength call. Uh, But the other one is right, left. So no matter where the ball is, I'm the right corner. No matter where the ball is, I'm the left corner. That's especially more uh, important to have when you're playing a team that pushes the tempo so like if you were playing chip kelly's offense back in the day and you were not going right left you were going to get beat you know i mean you just you can't switch and and so you need to have the ability to do that anyway so why not do it all the time if you have the right players so that's that's what we're referring to there last one ryan safety yep we know brandon joseph is going to start as long as he's healthy Who steps into that number two role and how many guys force their way on the field? Because this is the position where you could see more guys. You could see a five man safety rotation this year of guys that are just like, dude, he's got to play some somehow. I'm very curious to see how this battle goes, because obviously a lot of folks are just ready to write off Houston Griffith and DJ Brown. I wouldn't do that yet, but that's just, that's kind of the world we live in. And, and there's this assumption that Ramon Henderson's going to be that guy. After the way he played in the spring, I don't think he's locked into that guy. Sure. But also some other guys, you know, have to have a chance to step up, whether it's Xavier Watts, whether it's DJ Brown, whether it's Houston Griffith to, to push. So I don't think it's a given that Ramon Henderson's going to be that second safety. And so I'm very curious to see how the battle goes. And there's twofold aspects to it, Ryan. Number one, who starts? And number Mm -hmm. two, what's your rotation look like? And how comfortable are you taking Brandon Joseph off the field for 10 to 15 snaps a game? That also is going to be very, very much determined by how these guys battle for that other starting job. Because you'd like to take him off the field at times to give him a breather, Mm -hmm. but you better feel pretty comfortable with who you're putting back there. And right now, that's one thing that I'm very much looking forward to with the spring battle or this it's, fall. It's, I keep saying spring. Fall I, know, I keep saying spring too. It's, this is one of my
2: bigger question marks for me, honestly, Brian, because I went into the spring. I was like remote Henderson's the dude, you know, like he's going to, he had some really nice flashes last year, kind of getting forced into safety duty. He's going to just take that momentum. He's going to build on it. And like you said, wasn't a great spring for him. He has an opportunity obviously to change that momentum, but I don't know what to expect from this team, I, I'm from this unit, I should say, to be honest with you. I am not comfortable right now to take Brandon Joseph off the field for 10 to 15 snaps just because I don't know. I, I think there's just too much volatility, you know? Like, you would see even some good plays from – like, like let's take DJ Brown, for instance, right? Like, there would be a, a, oh, wow, nice, nice close on the football or nice tackle by DJ Brown, and then you see him – against Florida State where he just takes a horrible angle and misses the tackle on like that 70 yard touchdown run. Like just too much volatility. Houston Griffith, I felt like didn't get beat a ton, but he also didn't make many plays, right? Like last year. Like it was just kind of he was kind of there, which isn't always a bad thing, but like he just didn't make a ton of plays. And Xavier Watts, I wouldn't say I, I don't know if he I would say he had a bad spring, but like it, it was just very non like like you just didn't really notice him a ton, right? So I'm just I'm just moving in. And he just, wasn't getting understand.
1: beat. He just wasn't yeah. in in the practices we saw. And this yes. is the danger yeah. of reporting on not the danger, but we got you know, you all have to understand when we say things like it's what we saw. We saw what five practices mm-hmm. for the other ten. He may have been balling out and picking off three passes a day, but I sure. didn't hear those that intel either. I didn't hear about him doing a whole lot. I never heard about him struggling. I didn't hear about him doing a whole lot.
2: Yeah. He can't and afford to have
1: that happen in the fall, Ryan, right? if he's gonna force his way onto the field.
2: I mean, hundred percent. I mean, is Adrian Watts for me, like he's a guy that I don't want to gamble unnecessarily, but I want him to take a little bit of risk of time, right? Because he's a he's a nice athlete, man. Like he can make some plays working down towards the line of scrimmage and in covers. Like, I think that he can do a lot for your defense. It's just we need to see it, right? Like, you need that we saw flashes last year, but even his like there's there's some moments where you're just like I, I think of it was him against um, Stanford right against when sec, took that long for one for a touchdown he took a bad angle right it's just yeah. like
1: and there was hesitation plus a bad angle that's yes. when you saw that's a kid who was playing wide receiver in August in September
2: hundred percent and right. and you should expect those moments obviously it was his first year playing safety at Notre Dame so like cool I get it. But right now, I don't know who that second guy is. Ramon Henderson has that incredible interception against, what was that, Virginia, where he came over the top for that? Yeah, for that oh, player. yeah. But I mean, it looked a
1: lot last. like the play Kyle Hamilton made against Florida State in the year, if we're going to be honest about it. looked it very, And he also had a great uh, uh, run stunt where he blew up the running back. Running back or quarterback? One of the two. Blew either. him up and behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was a game where – you know what I loved about that game was some dudes that you weren't counting on before – Couple weeks before that, Ramon was playing cornerback and turning dudes loose against North Carolina. Then they put yeah. him in safety. Like this kid looks way better safety. Never looked a corner. Riley Mill steps in for one of your team captains and balls yep. out. I mean, that's why depth is important. But back to your point. But it just kind of got me thinking about that because who knew that Ramon yep. was going to come into that game and make a bunch of plays? So I, I think that the
2: battle really is you have two guys that are incredibly talented but young and inconsistent. And then you have two guys that have been there, done that, but haven't done anything at a high level. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. does the consistency, but unspectacular play of a Houston Griffith win out against a younger player who is going to make more plays, but he also might give up some more plays. Mm -hmm. Right. So it is just such an interesting conversation because I don't know what to expect. I mean, in the perfect world, Ramon Henderson or Xavier Watts, take over that spot The other one is the backup and, and, you know, is, is kind of a rotational piece. And then your two, your two seniors there and DJ Brown and Houston Griffith are playing, but they're more like insurance, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, they're great depth at that point. Right? Like, that's what you more expect. I am worried. I don't know. Worried is the right word. I am. Look, I am curious to see if it, for me, and I don't know your opinion on this, so I'm just going to put it out there. If Houston Griffith and DJ Brown are playing the majority of the snaps at the other safety position. That makes me a little worried for what I saw from the younger guys, sure. in my opinion, because I think that we've kind of seen close to the ceilings of Houston Griffith and DJ Brown. But if they are, if they just beat out the the two younger guys, mm-hmm. I think that tells me more about the younger guys performance than the seniors. If I'm being honest. It.
1: Hmm. It would make me nervous about how the younger guys are performing and it would be disappointing Not that I don't want DJ and Houston to play. It's just if they're dominating the snaps, it's most likely because those young guys didn't perform well. I would say I agree with you if DJ is the starter or playing half the snaps or more. right? The reason Mm -hmm. I say that is is there are times when Houston Griffith is like, that's the dude that I've been waiting to see.
2: That was the high four star.
1: Yes. (laughs) Right. right. So he has shown the ability to me to be a playmaker. DJ is just a steady hopefully you're in position kind of guy, right? Now, DJ had a good spring. I mean, he had mm-hmm. probably the most consistent spring from what I'm from what we saw and what I'm told uh, of any of the safeties. The question is um, can he carry that into the fall? That I don't know. But if if Houston's get if Houston just flat out has the kind of fall that, you know, I've always been waiting on him to have. And he takes seventy percent of the snaps, then I'm good there, right? I'm right. if it's there. Now, if it's him and DJ, and it's like you said, then I think that's a little bit more concerning, Ryan. So, it, or if DJ's that guy, and then Houston's getting thirty percent, that would tell me that they're just playing the veterans because they don't want to take a chance of something happening. Now, I'll say this: right, that could also that could be a problem, but it could it, it that would only happen. In my opinion, if the mm-hmm. front seven is just that good that they can't afford to say, look, we, we, we know that these guys aren't playmakers, but they don't make mistakes. Sure. And with how good our front seven is, we just have to avoid mistakes. I mean, right. I mean, because that's how Georgia was in the secondary last year. Right. I mean, like that's what to, to me allowed Lewis seen to be so good is they didn't have to force him into the box. They could just kind of let him sit back and play. Right. And now that's what made Georgia so elite is they didn't have to, they didn't have to protect the point I'm making is they didn't have to protect their front seven with their secondary. They could just let those kids stay back and play. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, uh, to me, because I didn't think Georgia had a great secondary. I thought their secondary was a little overrated last year. That a couple of really good players, but I thought it was a little overrated. You could, you could beat them in the pass game, and I talked about that during the season. You saw Tennessee do it until their injuries happened. You saw Bama do it in this SEC title game. You saw Bama do it in the first half until Jamison Williams got hurt too. But sure. the point is, in most games, their front seven was so dominant, they, they, they didn't have to protect it. They could just let the others. So it, I could see that, but that would be unlikely. You know, I I, I just so I'm just thinking of scenarios where I might not be as concerned about it. But honestly, I've got to talk myself into not being concerned about it, to be honest. Sure. Right. You know, I I mean, I I just think it would be caveats. Yeah. Right.
2: I I just think there's so much of a higher upside if Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts take a step. Right. Because they're just they're just a little different of athletes, in my opinion. I think Houston is a talented kid, but he just hasn't put it together. Mm -hmm. So I guess my worry is more that I think that they might give you more of the floor comparison, right, if we're talking about DJ and Houston. But do you really want to settle for the floor if you're trying to win for a championship? Right. Like, I want to shoot for the ceiling, but also there's going to be volatility. And I, I'm just curious to see if the younger players can show you some of that ceiling without being as volatile. Like, that's where I'm a little concerned.
1: Right. So that's going to do it for our position breakdown. We do have a mailback coming up. But uh, so, and we have some, already some, already have at least 16 questions started and I'm not, I'm not caught up to the present moment yet. So keep firing away with your questions. But before we head to the mailbag, I do want you all to do us a favor, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. If you've not signed up for yet, sign up for our CFB nation uh, new channel. I had, um, I have one person that's getting ready to sign a contract with us to, to be a host for a, a show. I have had another really great talk with somebody yesterday. Uh, that's more of a, a national college football news kind of guy. Uh, so hopefully we can work something, a deal out with them. Uh, so we're definitely definitely rocking and rolling, hoping to have at least a couple shows up uh, this season. And then there's some other fun stuff that Vince and I are thinking about doing uh, for that channel as well during the fall. So we'll see how that goes. So do that for us. We would really appreciate it.